welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, River Valley, it is so good to be with you all this weekend. I feel like my work here is done after seeing those giving numbers. I mean, goodness gracious. Y'all are incredible, and how cool is it that the leadership at River Valley and Pastor Rob went first with generosity and said, hey, we wanna make sure that we get Ramsey Plus in the hands of every single person that wants it, and I think you guys have the world record right now for the church with the most users, so way to go. You guys are living this stuff out. Well, I don't know about y'all, but when I was a kid, my understanding of wealth was colorful, and I'm not just talking about my Sonic hoodie with the three-tone panel. The kids call that drip now. We didn't have words for it back then when I was in the third grade. But y'all, you can tell that I couldn't afford a haircut. You know that's mom with the bowl just doing her best. Like I was like, oh, you got a straight bowl cut? You got that, you got that money. But it was also, my understanding of wealth was colorful because if you had the 64 color box of Crayolas with the built-in sharpener, y'all, your parents were rich. Like, that was my assumption right there. And if you came to school, you had the Pop-Tarts instead of the generic Toastums. I was like, dang, that's gourmet opulence right there. And if you were that kid with the Lunchable in the cafeteria, we were gathered around. That wasn't a meal, that was an event. Stacking those little pizzas up. And if you had more than one bathroom in your house, that was a life of lavatorial luxury that I did not know. Extra fridge in the garage just for drinks? Are you kidding me? Welcome to the 1%, y'all. It's insane. Like, all of this stuff was just so crazy to me. If you had a second phone line just for internet, if you know, you know, that was extravagance. If you had a two-car garage, it was a palatial parking paradise. And finally, the finished basement with the big screen and the pool table, borderline billionaire. That's how I thought about money growing up. And don't get me wrong, we didn't grow up poor, but we for sure weren't rich. We grew up in a thousand foot square house outside of Boston, Massachusetts. We shared one tiny bathroom. I had immigrant parents that worked really hard to raise my brother and I. And I grew up Arabic Baptist and that confuses a lot of people. And I wish I was joking. And people go, what's that? What was that like? I was like, it's like Baptist, but just a lot more hummus. I don't know. We just, there was always hummus around for some reason. But like, y'all, I thought wealth was predestined and predetermined. I was like, it's like genetics and a WWE wrestling match, okay? If you, thank you for the one person who got that. <laughs> Respect. For real, like, that's why when I pictured a millionaire in my mind, I never pictured myself. I never thought that would be me. And maybe y'all can relate. So fast forward from the crooked bowl cut, I got a little quaff going on. This is me back in 2013. This looks like the before picture in a Zoloft ad, okay? Like... Behind that gentle smile and that single-use disposable H&M cardigan was a guy who was frustrated. He was anxious. He had graduated college with $36,000 in student loan debt. He had $4,000 in credit card debt because he was trying to get those sky miles and the cash back for the blessings from Amex and Discover. And he was like, is this the path? I worked my whole life, got the good grades to go to the school of my dreams, to go into the debt, to go into more debt, to get the credit score so I can get more debt. Is this it? Is this what God had for my life? I was anxious. I was cynical. I was mad at everyone. The misguided guidance counselors, the well-meaning parents, everybody was involved here. And it wasn't all my fault, but it was my responsibility. So I didn't stay that way. 
I got introduced to this guy named Dave Ramsey, this old bald white guy out of Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a Boston guy, so I had to switch like wicked sick to be like, bro, you're so blessed. And so my, my vernacular changed. So I started working for this guy named Dave, and as part of onboarding, I went through Financial Peace University, which you guys now have access to, and it changed everything. I was hooked from the moment because there was hope. I paid off that $40,000 in 18 months, working an entry-level job with four side hustles, living on lean cuisines, doing Uber and Lyft on the weekends to get out of that debt because the borrower is slave to the lender, it turns out. And fast forward, I met my wife at Ramsey. She was smarter than me, better looking than me, and better with money. So when we got married, we had no debt, and we pre-decided that we wanted to be in our early 30s without a payment in the world. No mortgage payment, nothing. And in December of 2021, we paid off the dang house, and we were debt-free. And now we can afford our French bulldog, plural. (laughs) Believe it or not, y'all, I went from negative net worth, not knowing anything about money, didn't come from money, didn't get a dollar in inheritance, negative net worth to a millionaire in a decade of following this stuff. You see, I had followed culture's ways of handling money instead of the kingdom way. And guess what? You do what culture says, you get culture-like results, AKA that sucks. If you do what the redeemer says, to do with money, you get redeemed results. It's amazing how that works. And we seek wisdom from the Bible in so many areas, and yet we tend to ignore it when it comes to money. Turns out over 2,300 scriptures relating to money and wealth and possessions. Apparently the authors of the Bible knew that this treasures in heaven part, that'd be an easy sell. It's the treasures on earth that we would struggle with. So clearly God's concerned about how we manage our money. Romans, 20, uh, Romans 12, 2 says this, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if you look at the pattern of this world when it comes to money, we're broke. Ramsey Research uncovered some sobering stats, y'all. One out of four people said they rely on credit cards to make ends meet, just to cover the basic bills. 50% said they struggle to pay their rent. And even those that are homeowners, 38% said they struggle to pay the mortgage. Nearly four in 10 people have zero in savings. And then we wonder why they go into debt when that emergency hits. And worst of all, half of Americans said they worry about their personal finances daily. We're called to be anxious for nothing. And here we are waking up every day with a pit in the stomach and a lump in the throat because we're not sure how we're gonna make it to next week, let alone retirement. That's a pipe dream for most people. So we look at these stats and we're like, yay, go us, crushing it this is no way to live. God has called us to more than that. We got work to do. We got impact to make. So if you want freedom with money, it takes transformation. And for so many people, money is an obstacle. It's a place of guilt and shame and embarrassment and bondage. But through the lens of scripture, that all changes. It becomes a tool for freedom, a tool for kingdom work, and a tool to bless others. And I remember hoping and wishing for that transformation. And now I get to sit next to Dave Ramsey and co-host the Ramsey show. And I feel like a wiener in a steakhouse. And I'm like, God, if you can use me, you can use anybody. Like the fact that Dave hired a hipster dude in skinny jeans to take the helm, like this is crazy. And so as I take calls on the Ramsey show, I found there are four barriers that are holding us back from financial peace and biblical freedom. The first is a lack of margin. And what is margin? It's breathing room in your bank account and breathing room in your life. Hard to have one if you don't have the other, it turns out. 
This is space. It's cushion. It's knowing your card's not going to get declined at the grocery store. It's knowing you can cover the car repair without going into debt. The opposite of margin? Financial peace. So paycheck to paycheck is what most people are living like. Seven out of 10 people are living paycheck to paycheck on your street, in this room. That's what the stats tell us. And here's the thing, y'all. People call in with their incomes. They're making good money, but they have none and they can't figure out why. And here's the spark notes. Here's why. We're giving it to a financial system designed to take it from us. You surrendered it. You work too hard to feel this broke. That's most of us. Y'all are hardworking people. So how are we gonna get out of the cycle? We need a plan. It's the same proven plan I followed, same proven plan 10 million have followed. It works, it's not broke, don't try to fix it. Don't go ish, go all in. And these are based on biblical principles, born out of Dave Ramsey going through bankruptcy and looking at what the Bible had to say about money. And I'll prove that to you today. So here's the plan. It's seven baby steps that go in a specific order. Most people that call into the show, they're trying to do 19 things at once. And I'm trying to convince them to do one thing at a time. Don't multitask when it comes to your money. So baby step one, $1,000 starter emergency fund. Baby step two, we're gonna pay off all consumer debt except the house using the debt snowball method. Baby step three, let's fully fund that emergency fund with three to six months of expenses. Baby step four, we're done paying for the past, we can build for the future. 15% of our income going into retirement. Now baby step five, we can put some money away for the kids' college so that they don't have to end up in shackles like I did. Baby step six, while we're doing that, we can throw some extra on the principal of that mortgage and pay it off early. And finally, when we get that mortgage payment out of our life, we're at baby step seven, where you get to build wealth and give, and you get to be at the top of that kingdom builders list right there, and you get to be that top giver and feel the joy of having that impact for the Lord. So that's it. And uh, y'all, if you want a deep dive of this, make sure that you text Ramsey to 94,000 and you get signed up for Financial Peace University. We unpack this in nine lessons. I cover a few of the lessons, which is probably not a selling point for most of you, but if you want to see more of this, you'll get it in Financial Peace University. And you guys have access to that for free, so use it. It's worth nothing if you don't use it, and it's priceless if you do. Now, notice a key part of that plan is getting out of debt and staying out of debt. It's not get out of debt, and then later on, we can get more debt. You got to stay out because debt is a thief, and that should make you mad. Debt is robbing from your future by demanding that you pay for the past. And that causes us to look backwards in the rearview mirror. Oh, there's Sally Mae. You're gonna crash the car driving like that. Proverbs 22.7 is pretty clear. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. It doesn't say the borrower, well, unless they have a 0% interest rate. It just says the borrower is slave to the lender. So let's define debt. People get this confused when they call into the show. Debt is owing anything to anyone for any reason. Your car, that's debt. I know a payment's normal, but it's debt. The credit cards, that's debt. Even until you pay it off at the end of the month, if you're the perfect spender. And here's what Romans 13, eight says about debt. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Wow, that was a Jesus juke right there. It's like, well, there is such thing as good debt. <clears throat> Loving one another, dang. I was hoping they were gonna be like, well, the mortgage is fine. Nope, doesn't say that. You know what you got when you don't have payments? Money. You know what you can do when you don't have any payments? Whatever you want, thank you. So how are we gonna get out of debt and build wealth? Well, it starts with a budget. That's the foundation. 
This is a written plan for every dollar you make. Now, some of y'all, you twitched a little bit, you got some sweat on the brow, you're, you're looking at your don't tread on me plate, you're going, this guy's not gonna tell me how to spend my money. But let me free you, y'all. A budget is just permission to spend. It's an intentional spending plan. We spend more time planning our vacations than we do our finances and our retirement. This is crazy. So a budget isn't confinement. John Maxwell says it this way. A budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And that involves a level of planning and then sticking to it. That's discipline. So guess what? The, the Bible actually talks about budgeting. Luke 14, 28, 30. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. They're making fun of the non-budgeters out there. You gotta count the cost. You gotta pay attention to your money. It's going to give you margin. So create a budget, stick to it, track it, live on less than you make, get out of debt, and the margin will follow. And lucky for y'all, you have access to every dollar premium. Connects to your bank account. You can track your transactions. It's got a paycheck planning tool. It's got a financial roadmap tool that will help you see where you're going. And that's all free to you by signing up for Ramsey Plus. So let's keep going. What was that? Any questions so far? Okay, just making sure. So this is what's interesting, y'all, when it comes to margin. It's related to another thing. It's the second barrier holding us back, and it's a lack of patience. We live in a microwave culture. And listen, I'm, I grew up with the internet. That was my life. Like, the days of waiting for dial-up have now caused me to want everything instantly because I'm still angry about waiting for the dial-up. We're all about instant results and instant gratification. If we don't have the money now, who cares? Put it on the tab. We'll pay for it next month, hopefully. Buy now, pay later. Amazon Prime it, Instacart it. We have access to anything and everything 24-7, all of the time in the palm of our hand. And this consumer culture is out of control. We're so focused on the now, we can't even think about the future. And here's what the Bible says about future and finances. Proverbs 21.20, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Nothing to show for that paycheck. TLB version says it this way, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. So if you spend everything you make, biblically speaking, I didn't say it, you're a fool. Take it up with the manager. He can handle it. And this patience isn't just about spending. It's also the key to building wealth. This is one of my favorite verses, Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Solomon knew that we would be chasing that lottery ticket and then we'd be bankrupt five years later. Sorry, crypto. Sorry, beanie babies. Sorry, whatever get rich quick trend flavor of the month you fell for from your buddy on Facebook. If it sounds too good to be true, it is. If it sounds like a shortcut, run. And here's what's crazy about patience. Most people overestimate what they can do in a year and they underestimate what they can do in 10 years. That was me. Like, I didn't think I'd get out of debt in 18 months. And turns out if I was just patient and diligent, 10 years later, I'd be in a very different financial place. So you've gotta have a long-term vision, but it starts with margin and it starts with patience. So let's go back to those baby steps and check out how long this really takes, because this is fascinating, y'all. For baby step one, most people do it in a month. Thousand bucks, most of us have that, or we can scrape that up by selling stuff and being a little more diligent. Baby step two, paying off all the debt, on average takes people 18 to 24 months. For some it's less, for some it's more. 
Baby step three, fully funding that emergency fund with three to six months of expenses, about six to 12 months. Think about that. That's two to three years from right now that you could build this amazing financial foundation. But most people would rather suffer in stress and mediocrity for the next 20 to 30 years instead of sacrificing for two or three. That's the culture we live in today. So you've got to create a long-term vision and build the discipline to get there. And here's what Hebrews 12 says about discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. It hurts. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Y'all, if it sounds easy, you're gonna get flabby. If it sounds hard, you're gonna have a six-pack by the end of it. That's how this works with your finances and your body. I'm still working on that. I've been skipping leg day a long time. It's why I can fit in skinny jeans. So the antidote to a lack of patience is really simple, but it's really hard. Delayed gratification. That's a $10 word for you today. Here's what it means. It's saving up to pay cash for that used car, like our friend Davey did, instead of buying that new one on payments that we justified for safety and reliability for our family, right? It's investing 15% into the 401k. It's boring. You're putting the money away. You never even saw it, and you're letting compound interest work its magic for the next few decades. This is being a crockpot in a world full of microwaves, and that's hard because you're like, but dang, his food's already done. Mine's still cooking for another five hours. I'm hungry. And this brings us to the next one. The next area holding us back, a lack of contentment. One of the biggest reasons we overspend and outspend our bank account and make poor financial decisions is because we're not content with what we have. And I'm not here to hurt feelings. That's just what I find as you dig to the root of any form of debt. We didn't have the money. What God gave us that day, our daily bread wasn't enough. And so we put it on a tab and made lenders rich so they can sponsor the next Taylor Swift tour. That's the truth. And we live in a comparison culture. Now, back in the day, you didn't know what everyone around you was doing. You knew what your neighbor was driving. That's about it. Now I can scroll Instagram for three minutes and I can hate my life and be filled with envy from the comfort of my home that I also want to remodel after seeing my friend's home. That's how it is. And often the evidence of our envy is our debt. The evidence of our envy is our debt. It's the too big mortgage payment on our dream house that's now become a burden instead of a blessing that we lose sleep over. It's new car payments that we needed for safety and reliability, but really I just wanted something shiny and new. And I don't know who drove that car last and it has 50,000 miles and I heard cars explode at 100,000. These are the real things people tell me on air. So we've got to stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. The grass always looks greener on the other side till you realize the Joneses are broken, their marriage is falling apart. Regardless of what they posted on Instagram and how their vacation looked. And here's what I found working at Ramsey now for 11 years. The problem with running someone else's race is that there is no finish line. It will never be enough. We'll never be content when we're trying to keep up. And Teddy Roosevelt says comparison is the thief of joy. And few things make people go broke as quickly as trying to appear rich. A lot of people look rich out there because they're driving the fancy car. They're broke. Davey's out here in his used truck, and he's crushing the game. we got to start looking at our bank account and net worth as the scoreboard instead of a stupid credit score and some shiny toys we have. This is crazy. And here's the thing. We become discontent and driven by this consumer culture and by our sinful nature to want more than what God supplies. That's how discontentment starts. That's where it starts breeding. You can't spend your way into a meaningful life. Go read Ecclesiastes if you want some more info on that. That is the most rock and roll emo book of the Bible. 
And anytime I need a little pep in my step, I'm like, yeah, you tell them. Everything's meaningless. That'll make you not want to buy anything on Amazon. And here's a great verse on contentment. Write this on your heart. 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. You got that combo, you are leading a successful life, my friends. You'll have patience, you'll have margin, you'll have that contentment. So swallow your pride and get some better motives. Because I'm not so concerned about our embarrassment by what we're driving as I am about our imprisonment. That's the shackles of debt. And I love what Craig Rochelle says about this. Comparison will either make you feel inferior or superior, and neither honors God. Think about that. I'm either not good enough or I'm better than. That's not what God wants for our life. So a lot of this stems from FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. We've all heard that, FOMO. I think the Bible is calling us to JOMO, the joy of missing out. How about that, y'all? That's a concept. I mean, think about that. Most people are going, I don't have this, I don't have that. Instead of saying, God, thank you for blessing me with all the things I need today. You gave me the daily bread. You gave me a car that works. You gave me a job that pays. You gave me a beautiful family that's healthy. That's all we really need. It's that simple. So this is where it gets interesting. When it comes to contentment, there's a strong thread here. Give me a second. I'm catching up, guys. I'm catching up. How are you guys doing so far? Are we hanging in there? I'm, I got a lot to cover, and we got a little bit of time. Okay. So here we go. We're back on track. We're back. We're back. I got my notes ready. I think. There we go. There we go. We're here. Okay. So if we can get this, let's recap here. We got margin. We got patience. We got contentment, right? Now, I want to remind people we're okay with having nice stuff. A lot of people are like, Dave, you'll be so proud of me. I'm driving a hoopty that's 90 years old, and I'm eating rice and beans. I'm like, dude, you're millionaires. Like, enjoy life. It's okay to have nice stuff, but don't let that nice stuff have you. And our discontentment is largely due to our obsession with stuff. That's a dangerous path because it reveals what we really value. It reveals our hearts. You know, I just passed a storage unit on my way in here. And here's what Matthew says about Stuff. 621, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Some of your hearts are in a storage unit down the road collecting dust. If you master this one, you'll never go into debt again. Practice gratitude for what you have. Have the humility. Swallow your pride. Get off Instagram, and you'll find contentment. The only time you should look at your neighbor's bowl is to make sure they have enough. That's generosity. That's the good stuff. That's what you guys are chasing down all year long. And that's the final barrier holding us back from financial peace, a lack of generosity. Now, there's only three things you can do with money. You can give it, you can save it, and you can spend it. Which one is the most fun? We got one spender, we got one giver. Ma'am, you win the prize today. It's giving. Now, don't get me wrong. Spending can be really fun. You can make some amazing memories and you can have some nice stuff. But giving has some eternal joy attached to it. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says this, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So get this, you have to give with a cheerful heart. You have to do it joyously, but guess what's on the other side after you give? Joy. Y'all, God created an infinite joy loop in the universe. How cool is that? if you do it the right way. Proverbs eleven twenty five 25 says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. 
Now, I don't think this is advocating for some kind of prosperity gospel where being a good person and sending checks to a TV preacher or a church for that matter guarantees you a jackpot from God. I rebuke that, truthfully. That's the Arabic Baptist in me. Generosity should never be a transactional relationship where you're expecting material gain. This proverb is speaking to the deeper, more meaningful rewards of giving, recharging emotionally, refreshing spiritually, and living more peacefully. That's priceless right there. And even beyond the biblical aspect, I mean, even the secular culture has found this to be true. The benefits of giving have been proven by science. It's good for your brain. It releases dopamine. It brings you joy. It even makes you live longer. Because guess what? Generous people have lower stress levels, lower blood pressure. Go talk to someone who volunteers four hours a week. They're going to live to 100. There'll be a Methuselah out there if you're a big giver. This is amazing. And guess what? God is the OG, the original giver. I call it the gagot, the greatest giver of all time. Why is that? Well, he gave his one and only son. And according to Genesis, we were made in his image. Fast forward to Ephesians and we're called to imitate God. Let's do some Bible math. Gagot, made in his image, called to imitate him. Bada bing, bada boom, we were made to be givers. You don't have to be a mathematical genius to see that. And the more generous you are, the more you're becoming who God made you to be. That's cool. Next time you give, you're a little step closer to being godly, to living like he did. And as believers, we understand the truth about money that the rest of the world has no clue about. It confuses them. We believe that we're stewards of what God has entrusted to us. That changes the way I see money completely. It frees me. He's entrusted me to enjoy this money, to bless others, and to do his work. That's it. So whether I have a million dollars or $10, who cares? I can't brag. It's not my money. I'm just lucky to get a cut of this stuff. It's God's. So the point of the baby steps is not to hoard treasures on earth. It's to be faithful, to be obedient, to build wealth, to have an impact that ripples through eternity. That's what we all are chasing after. Our souls were made for that. So let's get practical. How can you start living a more generous life? Y'all have been talking about this in church for a while now. Pastor Rob's been covering it. Tithing is the baseline. That's the first step. Trusting God with a tenth of your income. Remember, it's his money to begin with. We're getting 90% cut to manage. But God doesn't want our money. People confuse this. They go, I don't understand. What's he using all this money for? I don't know why we're giving to this church. God doesn't want our money. He wants our hearts. And as you saw, if he doesn't have the 10%, he doesn't have our hearts to begin with because we don't trust him. We have a scarcity mentality. And tithing is not a baby step. It's a part of the entire journey. Give a little until you can give a lot. It's a matter of the heart. So you should be doing this throughout your whole journey, even when you're broke. Because if you're broke and you're generous, you're gonna become a philanthropist later on in life when you got some money. And if you're broke and you're a jerk, you're just gonna become a rich jerk. And we all know one of those. Now, some of you feel anxious at the thought of tithing. Let me free you with this beautiful verse from Malachi 9 and 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Them's fighting words right there. And guess what? This is the only place God says, test me, bro. Come at me, bro. See if you can outgive the greatest giver of all time. God wants us to test him, to trust him, to obey and see how he shows up. And Davy's story and Nicole's story is a beautiful picture of what happens when you're faithful like that. So tithing is planned generosity. That's the baseline. Another step is spontaneous generosity. 
Because when your cup runneth over, you have the ability to fill someone else's cup. And this is fun, creative, crazy. My wife and I call it the bless up fund. Right there in our every dollar budget, giving's right at the top when you open every dollar, which I love because it reminds you with the priority. And we have a line item just called bless up. And when we see an opportunity, which we can look up because we're not inward focused because of all of our debt and stress, we can look around for opportunities to give and we just do it. It's not even a conversation. We already budgeted for it. So we pre-plan for the spontaneous. So if you see someone struggling, making poor choices, wearing a Packers jersey, just, you know, <laughs> bless them. Just give them a Vikings jersey and say, God bless you. You see the coworker going through hard times, the car issue, the health issue. And so what if instead of just thoughts and prayers, what if we could also give them an envelope of cash, send them a Venmo, anonymously donate it? That's fun. And finally, the last piece is outrageous generosity. This is the dream part that Pastor Rob's been talking about. This is where we think big. What kind of legacy do we want to leave? What impact do we want to make as a church? And y'all are doing that. $11.5 million already, y'all? That is so wild. Maybe you want to buy name brand Pop-Tarts and Lunchables for the whole neighborhood. That could be a cool goal. Maybe you just want to leave an inheritance to your children's children. The Bible advocates for that. Proverbs 13, 22, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. So let me show you how, you, how this can change your own family tree. A few years back, I met this couple, Amir and Connie, and they came to Ramsey, the old headquarters, to do their debt-free scream. They paid off $10 million, uh, a million dollars in 10 years, and I deeply connected with their story. Amir was an immigrant from the Middle East, just like my parents. They had two kids about the same age as my brother and I, first-generation Americans, and that wasn't even the craziest part. Watch what they did at the end of their debt-free scream. Is, uh, you know, we don't have any secrets. They've been right there with us. But there's one thing that we've kept from them. And I'd like you to... You kept something from yes, them? Yes, yeah, it was a little secret. And okay. we thought, let's just keep it to what ourselves. Kind of, what kind of secret are you going to do and right the, here on the radio? And the secret is, just because they're here and they're going to uh, scream that free with us, we would like them to know that their mortgages are paid off. <laughs> best thing that we can leave to our kids is the wisdom to know how to handle their lives. And, and um, you guys are changing your family tree big time. They have proven to us they're so much, uh, you know, they're better people than I will ever be. Mm. And, and I look up to them. They're my coaches. They, they have their finances together and everything else in their life. So we figured, you know what, we wow. want to get them off to a great start. They both own homes. And yeah, so they, own paid off. <laughs> <laughs> they own them now. They own them now. That's right. <laughs> Touchdown, baby. That's as good as it gets right there. Yes. See, now you guys just witnessed the whole thing listening and watching on YouTube. Went from in debt a million dollars to being millionaires to the change of the family tree, paying off their kids' mortgages right here live on the air. Boom! Yes. That's how you do it. Yeah! you counted down you're all yes. for doing a debt-free scream right. amir connie navid and the seam wow <laughs> count it down let's hear a debt-free scream three, three two, two one, one. we're, we're debt-free debt <laughs> that'll put a pep in your step
I saw that, I was in the lobby, everyone was crying, and I thought, that's the kind of legacy I wanna be able to leave. I wanna be them when I grow up. That's outrageous generosity. Leaving a legacy, changing your family tree, breaking generational curses, living like no one else, making an impact that ripples to eternity. And here's the thing, I'm angry at debt because when you're in debt, you're robbed of the ability to live the way God intends. It's stressful and even worse, it's normal because we're called to be different, to be set apart, to be led by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 23, y'all know it. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. That's the person God designed us to be. That's something worth chasing after. So where's the fruit? Our culture is not very fruitful these days when it comes to those character qualities. Our handling of money is an obstacle holding us back from producing that kind of fruit. This is not a salvation issue. You can still get to heaven with your sky miles. They're just no good there. You're just missing out on some rich blessings on this side of heaven if you can get right with your money. In 2013, I remember how hard this was, y'all. I'm not asking you to do something easy, to get out of debt, to live with that kind of diligence, to sacrifice for two or three years, but it's so worth it. So the journey starts tonight for some of you. Make sure you sign up for Ramsey Plus. Text Ramsey to 94,000. Get that journey started. It includes a whole bunch more than just financial peace and the every dollar budget. We've got audio books. We've got group coaching, one-on-one coaching. We even got a, a tax filing software for free in there. So use it. That's how you say thank you to River Valley for their generosity. And you guys are already doing such a great job with that. So when money is no longer an obstacle, we can focus on what really matters and become the people that God has for us to be. And money then becomes a tool instead of an obstacle to help you live a life you're proud of. A life with more margin, more options, more freedom, more peace, and more joy. Would y'all bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we switch categories today from just being consumers of culture to being kingdom contributors, to stewards. We wanna be kingdom men and women who make a difference and we're gonna make this world better because we got on the right side of finances and we know that the way we handle our money is another act of worship. So we give you our life, we surrender our hearts and if we're gonna surrender our hearts, we gotta surrender our finances as well. So Holy Spirit, guide us, help us become that person, help us create a life well spent for your glory. In your name we pray, amen.